0: At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking. Shared success. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin
1: Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors. This is InvestTalk. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. I'm your host, Luke Guerrero, and we are now officially over the hump and halfway through the week. It's been a relatively quiet week in the market overall in terms of news that came out, but that shouldn't stop us from doing the work that we come here to do every single day. And that is to help ourselves along our journey to become better and more informed investors. Now, luckily for me, we here at Invest Talk have the best listeners around. And day after day, you help move this journey forward. Because here at Invest Talk, we work together. And that starts with your calls and your questions that guide us through this learning experience. So, before we preview our show topics today and talk about the market, let's kick it off by answering our first caller question that came in earlier to 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Lily from Big Bear again. Um,
2: calling... In regards to the Nike stock, NKE, just your thoughts: Is it a good time to buy it? It's pretty low for Nike. Any comments or recommendations are appreciated. Thank you.
1: So Nike, as most people are probably aware, is one of the world's largest sports equipment, accessories, apparel sellers. And... One other distinction about Nike that's important to know is they were also one of the worst performers in the Dow Jones Industrial Average last year. They were down 13% as of today from one year ago. And in December, they announced that they would be cutting some workers to try and save what they estimate to be around $2 billion. And that's primarily because growth has fallen off of a cliff, in a way. And... In December, their stock price took a hit, and that's because their forward-looking projections were not good because of headwinds in Europe and China economically that could slow down sales there. So looking at their growth rate, their five-year annualized growth rate in sales is about 7% down from the double digits that they used to enjoy. Their earnings per share in 2023, their fiscal year ends in May fell off from 2022 and they're projected to pick it back up in 2024 a little bit. I mean, it's it's not all bad. From a debt perspective, they have 12 billion dollars in debt on a 156 billion dollar company. That's pretty good. They've been buying back shares over the past couple years. Their cash flow improved certainly in 2023, but their profitability's taken a hit. And so technically, if you look at their chart, there's still some headwinds that are pretty apparent. And although Nike is lower than it's been in some time, is it the right price to pick it up? Do you still want to pick it up at a forward-looking price to earnings of 25? Price to book value of 11? I think there is a lot of room for improvement from the fundamental side of this company, and there's a lot of headwinds macroeconomically that make this probably not the right time to be adding Nike to your portfolio at these prices. Thanks for the call. Now, I should mention that I'm here today for Justin, who's enjoying yet another day off, lucky man. And we've got a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes or so. So here's a little bit of what I have planned. Now, my main focus point concerns this topic, considering undervalued stocks with reliable dividends. High-yield dividend stocks may not be the right way to go, unless the companies are fundamentally sound, those durable dividend stocks. So dividend investing has many pieces to it, and that's something that we will discuss a little bit later on. And after that, we'll be talking about something that I previewed yesterday, which is the merger, potential merger, regulators pending, between Capital One and Discover, and how that can reshape both the consumer and business experience. Also, investors are plowing record amounts into U.S. farmland. How is that changing the agricultural landscape? And should we have time, we can talk a little bit about Japan. As the Nikkei Index approaches a both psychological and nominal barrier, it's 1989 high that it hasn't surpassed, hadn't surpassed in over 30 years. And what lessons that can tell us about how you judge market performance, and what an index can tell you. We also have some Caller Voice Bank questions ready to play, including one on APA, APA Corp, and VCSH, which is the Vanguard Short-Term Corporate Bond ETF. And of course, as always, I welcome your finance and investment questions live anytime throughout the show on 888-99-CHART. Now we're going to do a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via live stream, call now to 888 99 Chart.
3: Invest Talk callers make each podcast unique. I was calling about Intel if it's worth holding on to, or should I sell it? Their questions are curious. Hello, I have saved up around $80,000,
0: and I was wondering what I should do to make it grow. Careful. Uh, I'm just wondering, is this a value trap, because it looks like it's gone down quite a bit.
3: Concerned.
2: Uh, It's taken quite the tumble
3: today. I've been trying to get out of this position for a while. I think I waited too long. And clever. does seem to be situated in some areas of expanding
0: population.
3: And Justin Klein, Steve Peasley, and now Luke Guerrero are always ready with their unbiased answers. And this is, it looks like a classic example of chasing yield. Don't chase the yield.
1: Next 12 months price to earnings is around 30 I just don't see it at this price.
3: Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. <music> InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the market today. U.S. stocks had a little bit of a whipsaw of the day, another mixed day, something I've been saying a lot recently, uh, with major indices having a pretty significant pop towards the end of the day after being down for most of it. The S&P 500 finished up around, let's see, 13 basis points. The Russell 2000 small cap index still down 47 basis points. The best day was probably for home builders and energy companies. Utilities had a pretty decent day as well. Big tech was, was kind of mixed, and that was on the heel of or really looking, looking forward to NVIDIA earnings, the market thinking that they either would hit expectation or maybe even fall below expectations. That kind of dragged down tech as well. Surprise, surprise. After hours, NVIDIA beat earnings again by a remarkable percentage. The stock popped about 7.5% right after the announcement. Treasuries looked a little weaker in the wake of the Fed minutes, finishing right near where they were at worst levels for the day. And not just the Fed minutes influencing that, but also kind of a poorly received 20-year Treasury yield auction. Oil was up 1% after being down the past couple days. Fed minutes overall were uneventful, in my opinion. They kind of flagged the risks of cutting rates a little too early and some policymakers warned a little bit about the downside risks of being higher for too long and the drag that can have on the economy. Probably the most notable part of it was surrounded around their preview, if you will, of a QT discussion that they plan to have for March. So certainly that's something the market will be paying attention to. I think overall, given that you know, NVIDIA was the last of the Magnificent Seven to report, 2024 earnings... The revisions are running a little bit above their historical trends. And overall guidance kind of looks pretty good. I think the other big news from a individual company perspective is Amazon is going to be added to the Dow Jones Industrial Average moving forward. So that's going to be an interesting addition to one of the oldest indices. And uh, yeah, that's the market today. Let's pivot back to the Invest Talk of Voice Bank. This question came in earlier from the San Francisco Bay Area.
2: Hi, this is Dan from Walnut Creek. Looking at uh, two
3: stocks, I'd like to invest in one of these two. Um, the first one is Devon Energy, DVN, and the other one is APA Corporation. I'd appreciate
2: your input. Thanks very much. Bye.
1: So the first one we'll take a look at is APA. And what strikes me the most about APA is they have a significant amount of debt. They have roughly, let's see, roughly $5 billion of debt on a $9 billion company. It's an ENP name. And certainly their profits are going to uh, fluctuate with the overall commodity market depending on how energy is doing. And that that's that's to be expected, but still having that kind of leverage on such a small company, even though their interest rate coverage is you know around around 6 7 right now, it's pretty decent, but they're still not leaving themselves a lot of room. Now they've been buying back shares, their cash flow is increasing. Overall, it has a lot of room to improve. I would say they had a Q4 profit miss. Their growth rate over the past couple of years has been not stellar. So there's a lot of room for improvement. Now, looking at Devon Energy, another oil name, Devon Energy's down 17% over the past year. Their cash flow is pretty plateaued, but the profitability's up. And they've been issuing some shares, but they certainly have a better debt picture. $6 billion of debt on a 30, 27, 28 billion market cap company. Their interest rate coverage ratio is around 25 And so from a technical perspective too, it looks like it's kind of consolidating as opposed to, let me pull up the APA chart here really quick. APA's been a little bit more of a downward trend. So looking at both of these companies on a pure balance sheet fundamental perspective, I would have to say Devon Energy. Now you can certainly make better plays on bigger companies. The industry is certainly consolidating. And maybe you do want to look elsewhere, but if you want to choose between these two companies, I think Devon Energy is probably the better play. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today concerns this topic, and that is dividend investing, something that we talk a little bit about. I think maybe one of the other hosts likes to say, don't chase yield. And so Morningstar did a little guide, if you will, to dividend investing. And what they were showing is that investors who want to get good dividend yield can use that as a screener for looking at companies. But the insights they provided was saying, move beyond that traditional hunt for high yields and look for companies that have durable dividends, those durable dividend stocks, not just the high-yield dividend stocks. And so they evaluated these 10 stocks, some of which you'll, you'll know, Exxon, Verizon, Philip Morris, Medtronic, Duke Energy. And they evaluated these stocks based on several different characteristics. An overall rating of the company, what they call an economic moat rating, Which, for those of you who don't know, the Morningstar economic moat rating is essentially saying, what is the threat of somebody coming in and taking away market share from this company? An uncertainty rating related to the certainty of the company's revenue stream and the economic environment. And their dividend yield. And so what Morningstar was saying with all of these ratings is something that we have said over and over and over and over. And that is, you should not be chasing dividends, but you should be thinking about what dividends tell you about companies. Because if a company can pay a consistent dividend, that is a reasonable dividend, and what does reasonable mean? You can look at a company and say, this thing's paying a 15% dividend, but its stock price is falling, its cash flow is off the cliff. And its profitability is dying. And so, if you look at that and say, ooh, 15% dividend, guess what? Dividends aren't set in stone. Something that we say all the time. Dividends can, and in that situation, will be cut. So, instead, something we'll be talking about after the break is how you can supplement that. And as we move into the break, I ask you to remind your friends and family members about our free Invest Talk downloads available at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. And now, as always, my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART.
3: For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You found a podcast that is dedicated to helping
1: you succeed, Invest Talk. So before the break, we were talking about dividend investing and generally I think for today and over time we've said everything that we need to say about it and that is you should not be chasing yield. Dividends can be an excellent screener for finding companies that have the ability to return capital to investors because that's what investing is about it's about appreciation of your investment and returning capital when they can so as you go out there and try and find these companies dividends can be a great first pass but what you really need to focus on cash flow consistent profitability growth the fundamentals of the company okay this is invest talk which means we wouldn't be anywhere without questions. And those questions are free, as are the answers. So let's play another caller question that came in earlier from 888-99-CHART.
4: This is Matt from South Florida. I have a question about a general advice for the next six to
3: eight months. At this point, I'm not putting any new retirement money into the market. I have it going
4: straight into a money market. And I do realize that requires diligence to make sure that when I feel the bottom is hit, to redirect those funds back into the market at a certain time. But is a short-term corporate bond fund something to look into? I thought maybe I'd be late to the party. Particularly, I was looking at VCSH, Victor, Charlie, Sam, Houston, Vanguard short-term corporate bond fund, holding this as a way to put new money into the market over the next three to six to
1: nine months. wanted to get your thoughts on that strategy. Thank you. So VCSH is the Vanguard Short-Term Corporate Bond Fund. And so this fund, it looks like it defines short-term bonds as bonds that mature within the next one to five years. Traditionally, short-term, all the benchmarks at least, call it one to three years. So the weighted average duration is definitely gonna be longer on this bond, or rather on this fund, than it is on the index. So that's, that's certainly something to know. And because of that, if you think about duration, the longer duration, of a bond or a bond fund or an asset, the more sensitive it is to interest rate risk. And so this is more susceptible than the index will be. Right now it's yielding about 5%. It's 30-day SEC yield, annualized yield, And it's pretty well diversified across issues, 2,433 different holdings. The top holding is 25 basis points of the fund. So what you could do is you could go even shorter or given that if you buy a bond and interest rates move against you, if you hold that actual bond within that time frame, in which you need your capital back, so long as the company doesn't go insolvent, you get your value of that bond par back versus an ETF where they're going to market against the fund. You may not get that back. You're going to get the price hit because you're not getting that expiration But overall, this is, this is a fine fund. It's a Vanguard fund. It's expense ratio is four basis points. If you think that the right place for you psychologically is to be in fixed income and to get that yield, yields are high. I can, I can see why, why somebody would seek yield right now with this fund. So I I have, I have no problem with this fund. Um, but just keep in mind, you know, you said timing the bottom, it's nearly impossible to consistently time the bottom. Historically, it's been shown, even if you're investing at the top of the equity market for your equity sleeve, you still have, over long periods of time, positive investment returns. So just keep in mind, don't overthink yourself. If you have a long time frame, don't completely stay out of equities. But if you want to invest in short-term corporate bonds, no problem with this one. Thanks for the call. And now, my next talking point is about something, like I mentioned, we previewed yesterday, in a way, and that is Capital One's acquisition of Discover Financial Services for over, I believe, $30, 35000000000 billion. And so this is a pretty major move within the credit card industry because those are two of the largest credit card companies. And so this deal overall is kind of seen as a significant bet by the credit card sector About not just rewards programs and the benefits of getting more consumers by creating more robust rewards programs, but payment systems and their role in a digitized future. And so Capital One's primary interest in Discover, for those who don't know, is mostly the payment network. Similar to Visa and MasterCard. This could potentially offer Capital One a new revenue stream and a way to save on costs. And so for Discover and Capital One cardholders, overall, the impact will probably be minimal. Some Capital One cards may switch over to the Discover Network, but there's no indication that they're going to switch everybody over. And overall, for the industry, it could be a good thing. Because for consumers, it could enhance these rewards programs without significantly altering the pricing schemes. Business owners are certainly going to see some changes as well. Some changes that could be beneficial, especially given the stranglehold that Visa and MasterCard have over the industry. And we're going to talk about some of those changes when we come back. Now, on the next Invest Talk, we look into the question what does NVIDIA's performance tell us about AI and the tech sector? NVIDIA has been the primary beneficiary of the recent technology industry obsession, large artificial intelligence models, which are developed on the company's pricey graphic processors for servers. That's tomorrow, but for now, I'm Luke Guerrero, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART.
4: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw The Potential? Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
3: Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk.
1: 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, we were talking about the Capital One and Discover deal, and we mentioned some of the benefits consumers could have. More widely accepted cards, if you already have a Discover card, better rewards. Sounds pretty good. And from a business perspective, there could be benefits as well. Because if the Discover network itself becomes more competitive because right now, Visa and MasterCard pretty much have it under, under wraps. A more competitive discover, competition tends to reduce fees. So this could in- influence interchange fees, which are a pretty contentious issue between merchants and card networks. In reality, the overall impact on Visa and MasterCard, regardless of what the stock prices have shown, is probably going to be pretty minimal. And should regulators let it go through, we could probably see this deal closing sometime towards the beginning of next year. But you can't discount the current political environment and regulatory environment, which has been having some pretty thorough reviews and some strong opposition to mergers that have had a lot of consumer and small business impacts. So really, you know, regulatory hurdles are always a possibility with mergers of this size, especially under an administration that's focused on scrutinizing commercial financial services, consumer financial services mergers. But generally, you know, the outcome will depend on the regulatory perception of the deal's impact on competition. Particularly, like I said, in a market that's dominated by Visa and MasterCard, frankly, I think this could be pretty good for competition. Now, let's take it back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Oh, sorry, this is a live call. Mark from San Diego, who has a question about the healthcare sector. How can we help you out today, Mark?
2: Oh, uh, yes. Uh, I was in uh, the Vanguard uh, ETF, uh, VHT before, made some money, got out, and now looking to diversify, wondering if it's time to go back in.
1: I'm sorry, you kind of cut out at the end. You said you were in VHT before, and what were you looking for?
2: Oh, I was in it before, and I got out that near the peak, and I was wondering if it's time to get back in.
1: Yeah, well, as we always say, you know, it's tough to time the market. So generally, over the long term, your best likelihood of a positive investment experience is to stay invested. You see time after time after time people who pull out of the market when they think there's going to be a top, there's a drop-off. The problem is you have to time both sides. You have to time the top and the bottom. Within healthcare, it could be a good time. There are specific, there are specific spaces within the healthcare sector that probably aren't going to do well over the next six months to a year. Think biotech, think medtech. All these very, very expensive businesses to run. But generally speaking, the economic environment isn't deteriorating like some people thought it was going to. So is now a good time to invest in healthcare? Frankly, I think now is a good time to invest in the market overall, especially, but most importantly, if you have a long-term focus. Thanks for the call. All right, let's keep things moving. And that means let's hear another question that came in from our 24-7 Voice Bank, 888-99 chart.
4: Hello, my name is Pat. And been listening for a few years, love the program. My question is: I inherited uh, around ninety thousand dollars about a year ago, and I've just been sitting on it. I am retired and thinking of uh, I could use a little income out of it. So my thoughts were either on J E P I or a Schwab S C H D, thought uh, investing in that and trying to get a little income out of it. You like one or the other, or neither. And if, or would you go with one or would you maybe split the funds? I greatly appreciate it. I'll be listening. Thank you very much. Have an awesome day.
1: So the question is JEPI or SCHD. So SCHD is the Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity Fund. And JEPI is the Equity Premium Income Fund. JEPI curates stocks from the S&P 500 identifies value stocks with favorable risk return characteristics. Both of these are equity funds. And it sounded to me like you're trying to get some income, which means you probably are also trying to protect your capital, given where you are at your stage in life. I think probably you should be looking for a safer form of income that doesn't have as much risk of capital deterioration. So I would look more towards the capital preservation yielding income funds and maybe stay away from something that invests a lot of the money in large cap equities. Thanks for the call. Okay, well, we're on a roll with two questions, so why don't we do a third one in a row? You know the number,
4: 888-99-CHART. Jim in Miami, and I have a question about ESS, Essex, property trust. I'm looking at the chart, and it looked great pre-pandemic. It looked pretty good during the pandemic, and now it seems like it's tanking. I'm getting mixed information when I do my own research, and I was wondering if you could help me figure out if this is worth picking up at this price point. Thank you very much, and I'll listen on the podcast.
1: So ESS is the Essex Property Trust. It's a real estate investment trust. And it owns, operates, manages, acquires, and develops, and even redevelops, mainly apartment communities. I actually know this this company well. I believe I lived in an apartment at one point a decade ago that was owned by the Essex Property Trust. I won't give you my opinion on how that went. But generally speaking, and I've said this before, REITs don't give me the risk-return-reward characteristic that I would looking for right now? Because you invest in a REIT for income generally, especially one that's 15, 20, 30, $40 billion. This is a $13 billion company. And so if you're looking for income, you're looking for yield. This is yielding 3.9%. You can get that in fixed income right now. You can get that on the treasury curve. So is this a good place to invest right now? This specific subset of the real estate market, apartments, especially REITs that are this large, you're probably not going to see the capital appreciation from investing in this REIT. So you're probably looking for income. I'd look for a safer way to get income. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot back to an interesting topic, certainly not one that I thought I would be hearing And that is where investors are, excuse the pun, plowing their money into. And so an unprecedented amount of cash is going into, investor cash, U.S. farmland. And this is mostly amidst a backdrop of diminishing natural resources. So the National Council of Real Estate Investment Fiduciaries reported that a substantial increase in the value of farmland held by investment groups, highlights a more than two-fold growth over the past three years. That's pretty exceptional growth. And so this cropland, which now averages $5,460 per acre, has shown a steady appreciation. And according to the UN, it's supposed to surge by as much as 60%, the need for food, that is, by 2050. And so the COVID pandemic and certainly geopolitical events, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has in a way exacerbated this issue. Because this disruption in global supply chains has negatively impacted most of the world. Food prices have spiked, commodity prices related to food have spiked. And so when you couple this with inflation, agricultural land itself kind of is an attractive investment option. And even with inflation falling, the demand for that land has not fallen with it. And that's because of those long-term trends favoring ownership of this land. Remember, the UN projecting a 60% growth in need for food production by 2050. And so the financial crisis actually has a role to play here. Because in the wake of 2008 and subsequent downturns, large investment groups spent a bunch of time buying a lot of agricultural land because they wanted to diversify and protect against the equity market fluctuations that they just saw. And over the past almost 20 years, farmland has been pretty resilient asset class. And more importantly, it's accomplished that goal because it's uncorrelated with the broader market. And so with this, let's say, growing demand, there also is the benefit of a limited supply. There's very few places in the world where new land is being made, and that's mostly around volcanoes near oceans. And so the market as of today, is still pretty largely dominated by family-owned farms. Only a tiny percentage are owned by investment funds. But even with that being the case, farmers' organizations are justifiably and rightfully scared of the impact. And so this is an interesting trend to watch because the downstream effect it can have on communities... And labor in smaller communities could certainly become more widespread and affect the country on a macro scale. Now, the first quarter feels like it's moving pretty fast. We're already closing in on the end of February, and we've been telling you for a while we're in a new market environment. So serious investors need to be able to adjust their thinking and strategies to fit the times. So let me remind you that here on InvestTalk and at KPP Financial, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. We pride ourselves on offering unbiased guidance and practicing parallel investing where we invest alongside our clients in the investment strategies that we implement ourselves. I encourage you to take advantage of our offer where we provide a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or GoToMeeting. So send us a message through investtalk.com. Let's squeeze in another listener question that came in earlier from 888-99-CHART. Hi,
2: Justin. Hi, Steve. This is Joyce from New Jersey. Thank you for a very informative show. Could you please give your opinion about NEA tax-exempt municipals in a taxable account, which pays a nice dividend? And could you please comment on TRO, T R O W? Is it a buy, or hold, or sell at the current price? Again, thank you for a great podcast.
1: So let's take a look at T. Rowe first, and then we can get to the other part of her question. So T. Row Price Group is an investment management service company. It's been around... Coming up on 100 years now. It founded in 1937. And overall, looking at the business, they certainly had a little bit of a price drop-off. And a lot of that was in the wake of the regional banking crisis and what that told us about companies that had exposure to longer-duration assets in a rising rate environment. And so what I like about this company is they've been buying back shares. Good, returning shareholder capital. What I don't like is valuations a little bit high, for my taste. Price to earnings is around 14. Price to book, two, that's pretty modest. Price to sales, four. But I think one of the bigger problems with T-Row, and with a lot of these types of companies where their their revenue is derived from asset-based fees, is something that we've talked about in the past, which is fee compression, which means that over time, investment managers are competing on fee levels, which drives fee schedules down and drives revenue down as well. Now, some of these businesses have incredible capacity to scale, and this one does it at modest debt levels. It's got $400 million in debt on a $24, 25000000000 billion company. But I think a lot of the market's agreeing with me right now. There's 6% short interest. And so at these prices, I wouldn't sell. I wouldn't sell here, but I certainly wouldn't be adding any more. I think it's a little overvalued, but not egregiously so. But keep in mind that this company and all of these companies are going to be dependent upon bringing in new assets to manage. And as they lower fees, they have to bring in more and more in order to maintain those levels of profitability. Thanks for the call. Now, I want to mention, before we head to a break, our KPP premium newsletter. Now, keep in mind, we do give you a little preview every Friday where we run down a little bit about each topic we talk about in the current market environment, and maybe give you some hints about some of the companies that we talk about that you may want to keep on your watch lists. But if you want all of that information, if that sounds interesting to you, if you want more than just the the sneak peek, the taste, you can subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Now, this is Invest Talk, and I'm Luke Guerrero standing in for Justin Klein. And we have one goal here to help you achieve your financial freedom. And our work continues together, but not without you. So please call and leave us your questions or comments now or anytime at 888 99Chart.
3: Let's take a quick look at your financial to do list. At the top, make that phone call to the Invest Talk Anytime listener line,
1: 888 99 Chart. Let's go to Richard in the Bay Area who has a question for us. How can we help you, Richard?
2: Uh, hi, Luke. Um, thanks for taking over and best wishes to Steve. Um, I have more of a comment slash question. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the yield curve inversion um, historically has uh, been associated with um, recessions. And I'm wondering what you think about, I think in 2022, and correct me if I'm wrong, we had two quarters back-to-back of GDP, a negative GDP growth. But maybe it was politicized, or maybe I don't know more, but uh, later like the White House came out and said, no, 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 wait. The the definition of a recession is not only negative GDP growth. Uh, it only, you have to look at unemployment and certain other factors. So could it be that this association still happened, uh, but at the same time, we didn't call it a recession, we called it something else?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. So the old joke within the industry is that the yield curve has called 22 of the past two recessions? And so you can't just look at one indicator and have that be something that declares a recession. And you're right, there were two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. But that also doesn't really tell you about the economy because there has never been a declared recession. Keep in mind, a recession is only declared by a council of economists, I think out of Boston, where you have slight negative GDP and unemployment is still in the 3 to 4% range. That's full employment. So although there is a technical definition of a recession, which is negative GDP growth for two consecutive quarters, real GDP growth, it's important to think about what real GDP growth means as well. So if you have inflation at 6.5%, you can still have nominal GDP growth at 6%, which is what we had. And in that time, you also had unemployment at historic lows. So is the economy contracting? Technically, yes. But is it a recession, a widespread event that impacts future economic growth as well across broad industries? That wasn't necessarily the case. Now, going forward, could we have a recession this year? A lot of people are saying yes. But it's also important to frame in your mind what a recession means. Not all recessions are 2008. Recessions can be short, they can be painful, they can be mild. It's our opinion that given the strength of the economy, how robust the consumer has been, and the fiscal impulse, which doesn't show any sign of slowing, if there's a recession, it will probably be in the mild category. Thanks for the call. Now, before we wrap up today, I think we should talk a little bit about Japan. And so... In Japan, for those of you who don't know, the Nikkei Index, the Nikkei 225, is very close to setting an all-time high. And in America, the S&P hit an all-time high two years ago, roughly, and hit another one this year. But in Japan, the Nikkei 225 has not hit an all-time high since 1989. So should it do so, this ends its 34-year drought. And so what does this tell us? Since their peak in 1989, the Nikkei fell over 80%. There were dramatic losses that really haven't been seen since the U.S. Great Depression as an example of a specific country seeing that kind of loss. But as always, we like to say you have to dig deeper. And so if you look at the Nikkei and the methodology behind it, how it's created, it looks at stocks' prices and not their market value. And that can skew perceptions of how the market's actually performing. So the largest constituent in the Nikkei is the parent company of Uniqlo. Is that representative of the entire Japanese economy? Should it be the largest? Probably not. So, the lesson here, more than anything, is understand what these benchmarks mean, how they're constructed, and what they are really telling you. Now, I'm Luke Guerrero here for Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And please be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Remember to follow us on social media and learn more anytime at investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. See you tomorrow.
0: InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program,